The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the Frankenmuth Historical Association. Some episodes may contain subjects that are uncomfortable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and guten tag, and welcome to Historians and Lederhosen. I'm Garrett. I'm Nathan. And I'm Malcolm. We are three historians from the Frankenmuth Historical Association, located in Frankenmuth, Michigan. The association owns and operates a seven-gallery museum, a historical log house, Fisher Hall, and a collection of over 30,000 artifacts. Check those out at frankenmuthmuseum.org or right on our Facebook page at Frankenmuth Historical Museum. This podcast will tell the stories of Michigan's Little Bavaria to the real Bavaria and anything in between. Be sure to tune in every other week and listen to the three of us and our guests as we dive into the wide world of history. Auf Wiedersehen. All right, Prost. 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 Oh, shoot. <laughs> Please don't spill all over the equipment. <laughs> Almost lost my mic. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Historians and Lederhosen. Today, we are going to talk about something that almost everyone can get behind, at least if you're 21 or older. Today's episode will cover a bit of the history of German beer and brewing, as well as a bit of a dive into the history of early Frankenmuth breweries. So how about you all grab yourselves a beer and find someplace comfortable to listen along? Nathan, what is our segment going to be for today? We're going to do two truths and one lie. All right. Okay. So for listeners that may not have heard this segment before, I'm going to present three quote-unquote facts, and you have to pick out which one is the lie. All right? No cheating, Garrett. Don't look at my computer. I already know you're lying. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you do this. Fact number one. Michigan's first brewery was founded right here in Frankenmuth, Michigan, by a German immigrant. That's fact number one. Fact number two. Today, over 100 breweries operate in the state of Michigan. Fact number three. Michigan was the first state to ratify the 21st Amendment, repealing prohibition. Ooh. I think one is true. I think the first one, the German immigrant, first brewery. I think that is true as well. Um, I happen to know that two is also true from my research that we have over a hundred breweries. Um, I would say you and doing research before the episode. Well, I, I, I was in the show plan. I was assigned to provide some modern stats on Michigan breweries, so I just happened to know, which I guess I could have hid it from Garrett. I could have misled him so that I could take a different answer. I'm, I'm going with the, the third one is not true. I'm, I think Michigan was a little farther down. I don't think they were I'm the first. I'm also going with the third one. I feel like the first state to ratify it has to be one of the states that like really likes alcohol, and it's probably like Wisconsin. Yeah, because I'm thinking it's not beer. It's more like spirits, like one of the more like spirit-heavy. Like New Jersey. New Jersey was probably the one that ratified <laughs> the first. <laughs> Everything's right. legal in New Jersey. So you're both going with three? Yeah, both yeah. going with three. Oh, is it one? It is one. Ah. Oh, so you one is the lie. So the first brewery, <laughs> <laughs> the first brewery in Michigan was founded by a German immigrant, but not here in Frankenmuth. Oh, right? it was okay. actually in Grand Rapids, um, hmm. and they called it the City Brewery. Originally, yeah. originally is it still the City going brewery? today through like ownership and everything like that. That or? I don't know. Oh, I don't can... believe so because okay. I believe. Um, Frank Muth Brewery claims that it's the oldest operating brewery. It does. On so its that that would explain that. 
Okay. I don't, so that's what I, threw I me off, honestly, was because yeah. Frankenmuth Brewing claims to be the oldest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe like through Fallier or, you know, mm. uh, you know, 1845 or whatever. But uh, interesting. Yeah. But so uh, to come back around. So Michigan yep. was the first to ratify. Michigan the was prohibition. the first to ratify. Yep. That is a fun fact. Mm-hmm. Guess we like our alcohol more I'm going to put that in the member break. Oh, speaking of which, uh, this is totally off topic and unplanned. How spontaneous. I just learned this the other day, though. Do you know um, where... Uh, Paps got the blue ribbon. The Michigan State Fair. No, no, no. I don't. Uh, so it wasn't technically Pap. It wasn't named Paps yet. It was something else, and I just can't quite remember it. Um, it was something kind of generic, um, like city and brewing or something like that. Um, uh, no, uh, beer and best or something like that. Something with best. Anyway, uh, they actually won the blue ribbon at the Chicago World's Fair. And then they kept that moniker on the beer so that it became Pabst Blue Ribbon when uh, Pabst Uh, bought it and became the president. So then it became Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. That's interesting. But they've had the, they actually officially, it wasn't just like a uh, moniker or anything like that. They actually were awarded a blue ribbon at the Chicago World Fair. I really, I really want to know what beer tasted like in like the 19th century because of Pabst. (laughs) Won a blue ribbon <laughs> at the World <laughs> Fair. It was the best, yeah. of the best of the time. I wasn't going to say anything. But. <laughs> well, let's uh, maybe turn our attention to more of a, a craft beer discussion then rather than uh, sticking We're with craft. We're connoisseurs here. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, let me go. There we go. So, Garrett, take us away. I think it's actually... You. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I thought you were going to tee me up a little bit or uh, introduce hey. my section. <laughs> hey, um, just get, well, that was anticlimactic <laughs> hey, with, with the cracking of the can. Would you, uh, would nice you like word, to tell guys. me what the uh, German beer purity law is called? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll just kick it off. Boy, here. you planned um, that transition. Yeah. <laughs> we are professional podcasters over here making the big bucks. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I guess uh, prost, slanchevai, uh, to everyone listening. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the history of beer and brewing in Germany specifically because uh, that really lays our our sudsy roots uh, for everything else we're going to discuss today. So uh, Germans' beer consumption per capita, let's uh, just get this out of the way, is the third largest in the world after the Czech Republic and Ireland, surprisingly. Uh, Germans drink around 110 liters of beer every year. And uh, the U.S. is back in 13th place with a modest 81 liters. Um, modest, yeah. Yeah, for, um, well, you know, for, uh, well, we'll do the conversions later. <laughs> uh, there are some Darn 1,300 breweries in Wait a Germany. Just a second. Yes. 81 liters, like, per person a year? Like, on average. Per capita, yes. so yeah. yeah so we're, capita. we're counting, like, like kids and babies that can't drink, they're a part of the. Per I have capita? a feeling that it has to be like of legal age, so it's probably twenty one and twenty one and over. But like, you might be right. for legal is, drinkers. Yeah. Okay. To to continue continuity of Garrett, really not knowing how to conceptualize measurements in any sort of way. <laughs> when I saw eighty one liters, I imagined forty and a half. Two liter, <laughs> two liter <laughs> bottles of beer just stacked up. And well, wait, I thought about it in a way. But I no. Th- <laughs> uh, <laughs> thought okay. about it in the way. I get it. I get it. That like, imagine, like, I know it's per year, but I'm like, imagine like you start the year with those 42 liter bottles. 
That is a <laughs> you designed to get 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 through them throughout the year. <laughs> He's losing it. Garrett's losing. It. Anyway, <laughs> um, th- thank you for that contribution, Garrett. Um, as I was saying, <laughs> uh, there are some thirteen hundred breweries in Germany uh, now producing over five thousand brands of beer, with over half of the breweries located in the southern German state of Bavaria, which uh, our keen listeners will recognize that area. The alcohol content of German beers is usually somewhere between 4.7 and 5.4 for most traditional beers. However, the alcohol content of a Bach beer or a double Bach or a double uh, Bach beer can rise up to 16%, which is higher than most wines, actually. Um, So if you want strong beer, you know where to go. I can't Um, imagine what that tastes like. It's good. Um, you have to be careful. You just yeah. have to be really careful because it still tastes like beer. Right. Um, but uh, it doesn't go down quite as smooth, and you just you don't want to have a couple of those sitting down. You want to make sure you're periodically getting up and <laughs> Doing not a winding jumping yourself. Jack or two. Yeah, you know, like kind of balancing out with some cardio. No um, two liters of that carrot. <laughs> well, I've got to get through forty and a half. <laughs> <laughs> got to get my average. Got to hit sit here. Bring on the double buck. <laughs> Um, we've talked about Oktoberfest in the past, which is held in uh, Munich every year from late September to the first weekend in October. It's the world's largest beer festival. Only beer brewed within the city limits of Munich um, is allowed to be served, and around 7 to 8 million liters are consumed each year during the 16-day festival. Um, now, more historically, uh, what a lot of people don't know is there's actually German beer uh, purity laws surrounding beer. So these are called the German Beer Purity Law, or Reitzgebot, which is the world's oldest food safety law that is technically still valid. So it regulates the ingredients and was introduced in Bavaria in 1516. It stipulates that only barley, hops, and water may be used for brewing beer. So yeast had not been uh, yet discovered at this point in uh, 1516, and it uh, later did become the fourth legal ingredient. How you doing there, buddy? Just the thought that yeast had to be discovered is just really like kind of fascinating <laughs> to me. Like, like I think, oh my god, again, not to make myself sound like the unpaid intern, but I think about it in like a Indiana Jones sort of sense, where like he's traveling through like caves and they f- they find like this little on packet. a pedestal with a single <laughs> light on it, like a little red <laughs> packet, <laughs> little packet of yeast, and they're like, "What is this? <laughs> is there more?" <laughs> Oh my god, our bread can rise now? (laughs) (laughs) Our bread's been falling for too long. So that is the initial Reitzgebot law. But uh, in modern times, the law is part of the German tax code and actually states that in bottom fermented beer, so lagers, only barley, malt, hops, yeast, and water may be used. So lagers brewed in Germany may not contain spices, corn, rice, sugar, unmalted grains, chemical additives, and stabilizers, uh, which is worth noting. Now, the original law, which also included that beer not uh, be brewed according, that beer was required to be brewed by the purity laws, um, it also regulated that beer not uh, brewed by these purity laws could not be sold in Germany, but that was abolished in 1987, so in much more modern times, when the European court ruled that that list was just way too narrow of ingredients and was um, kind of 
in hindering free trade, basically. So since that ruling, it has been legal to import beers into Germany that are brewed with adjust um, uh, adjuncts, sorry, so like sugar, corn, rice, and all malted grains, and treated with chemicals for artificial head and a longer shelf life. However, most, if not all, German brewers still adhere fiercely to Reizgebot as a matter of pride and tradition. That, that, you like that word too much? Yeah. That last... Uh, <laughs> I spent all day yesterday like <laughs> listening to it and trying to pronounce it so that I can just like jump in with, like, with no hesitation. Reizgebot. <laughs> That's great. That, uh, the fact about the European court ruling actually kind of brought in like something that was going on through my mind is Germany has been through a lot of different like political change about like mm-hmm. their borders and like what constitutes like a German nation. So it was just kind of fascinating because I'm like, how has that, how has that law stood on like legal codes for six, close to six centuries now mm-hmm. when through all of this like political turmoil of Germany. But that's just, it's in- interesting because it, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's cool too that like they found a way to still make it work for them, even though it adapted to, you know, uh, European law and international law for free trade agreements. Reinheitsgebot um, was still treated as a tradition in Germany of like you use simple ingredients, make the beer right. That's our tradition. If you want to bring in other stuff, you can bring in other stuff and enjoy it. But if it's a German beer, it's going to adhere to Reinheitsgebot. You just, there he goes. You just want to say? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was finding every excuse. Yeah, just finding a way. <laughs> All, All right. right so. so Nathan, do you want to give us a little bit of insight on the early breweries of Frankenmuth? I, I really could... hit this transition. All right. Hey, <laughs> nice work. <laughs> nice job, Garrett. <clears throat> so Frankenmuthers brought their German traditions, their skill in brewing, I guess you could say, over here to Frankenmuth, and in 1857. John Follier was the first man to brew beer in Frankmuth. Um, he came from Bavaria. He actually set up a little tin shop with his wife. Um, he, <clears throat> from there, he saw an opportunity to, um, you'd say, quench the thirst of the new settlers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he set up the Frankmuth Brewery in 1857. And so this beer um, didn't quite have the same quality as it did in native Bavaria. Um, at least the residents of Frankmuth, they now had beer, right? Garrett, you're still smiling over there. It's creeping me out. So, um, <laughs> But Follier's Brewery, right, it was a small brewery, um, and it had a small brew kettle a capacity for 200 gallons. Garrett, how many liters is that? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. No, it's like 3.8. How many two liters is that? It's Okay, so one gallon is like 3.8 liters, and I know this because, no, I'm not going to admit why I know that. Um, but You have five seconds. So it's going to be like 800, 800 liters, so that's going to be 402 liters. Can we vet that? <laughs> Can you vet that, Malcolm? Uh, sorry, what was the original? 200 uh, gallons. 200 How many gallons. two liters would that be? Okay, <laughs> just wanted to test your measurement capacity again. So you'd have so that's seven hundred and fifty-seven liters. Oh, so I'm pretty pretty close. I'm really getting. I'm really getting there. <laughs> Not bad. All right, Garrett. Better than uh, heights with you. So, <clears throat> Follier's Brewery, two hundred gallon capacity. Um, ceased operations in eighteen sixty-four, um, and Mister Follier passed away two years after that. <laughs> so the second brewery um, founded here in Frankmuth was called the Cass River. Um, and it was kind of one of the first real successful commercial breweries here in Frankmuth. It was founded by two cousins, um, William Noss and Martin Haybush, um, in 1862. And they operated until 1874, 
so about 12 years, when they sold it to John George Geyer. Um, Geyer operated the plant with his brother, um, Michael, and so the plant was later renamed Geyer Brothers Cass River Brewery. All right, so I, yeah, I, and I say that slowly because in our research, <laughs> trying to uncover all these different breweries with all the different names mm. here in Frankenmuth can be a little tricky. It's so complicated because um, they keep trading like <clears throat> pieces of the name mm-hmm. back and forth. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But so after he transfers ownership, though, 1874 is when it kind of becomes Geyer Brothers. Um, so John and Fred take over, and they are pretty skilled in the art of brewing beer. Um, and the name was eventually shortened to Geyer Brothers, I guess I should say. Um, mm. Sorry, I'm missing a couple notes here or something. Interesting. So anyway, we have Geyer Brothers Brewery, apologies, um, by 1874. Um, and then it passes on to um, a couple of different sons and a couple of different generations. And Geyer Brothers lasts for, I want to say, close to 100 years. Wow. Um, Geyer Brothers lasts for quite some time. And so those are kind of the historic breweries of Frankenmuth. Um, in between that and more of the modern breweries we have, um, we actually have Prohibition pops up. So, Garrett, I'll toss it over to you to cover a couple Prohibition stories. So, yeah, I mean, Frankenmuth has a rich history of some fun Prohibition stories, and we do have an entire <laughs> episode about Prohibition if you'd like to get a little bit more, but I'll run through a quick synopsis. <laughs> That was a good episode, though. It really was. I liked that one a lot, yeah. So for the first one, um, there's just kind of an, an old tale that a traveler visited town and came up to a Frankie Muth local and asked, hey, this is during Prohibition, mind you, where can I get a beer? And the the local just looked around, and then he spotted the the steeple of St. Lawrence and pointed over there, and he's like, anywhere but there. So that just kind of shows you that for a... For a German community, prohibition didn't really mean that much. They weren't they weren't gonna stop. It wasn't gonna stop anyone. And it did not stop the Zender family from continuing to serve beer at their restaurant throughout the period of prohibition. So kind of the code word was you would go and ask your server for a hot tea and they would uh, run behind the bar, get you a get get you a beer, and then bring it back out to your table. And you could just drink beer during prohibition. But that uh <laughs> That comes into a problem when a federal agent is traveling through town visiting Frankie Muth and asks for a hot tea legitimately and uh, would would be uh, pretty surprised when he's brought a beer. And he's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, got a problem now. <laughs> I guess I'm a federal official. I got to do something. I got I to do my job. So then I um, swear after I'm done this beer, I'm going to do something about this. And, <laughs> one second Um, (laughs) but in order to make a an example of the zender family and just any business that was still serving alcohol during this prohibition era the federal judge down in detroit decided to smack the zender family with the largest fine possible Mm. and um in order to get a discount on that fine they the the judge offered that if they could smash bring in federal agents and just smash up the bar that they would cut off I think what was it three grand from from the total or something like yeah. that yep right about um, that so that's what they did you can always build another bar so they let the federal agents um, come and tear apart the bar piece by piece um, so Zenders holds the record for the largest prohibition um, fine ever levied against a business. And that's just something kind of interesting when we did our bit of research about prohibition is I didn't realize like how 
how central Michigan was to a lot of the Prohibition era laws and a lot of the Prohibition era scandals. So not only was Zenders one of the first, um, or one did get the largest fine ever levied against a business, but also one of the Supreme Court cases that is now super important to um, search and seizure law in the United States is Carroll versus the United States, which in involves the story of like beer smugglers, like alcohol smugglers running on the highway between um, Grand Rapids and Detroit. And they would, they undid the upholstery of their cars to like just shove alcohol in. And so, uh, and the federal agents had been catching on to that and they pulled them over for a traffic stop and like wanted to search the car. So it became a question of like, what is a, what is a legal search and seizure (laughs) inside a car? Because like, it's not in plain view. Like you, you'd have to undo Uh the, Mm -hmm. undo the upholstery. But I remember this from my constitutional law class, but it's interesting. Right. It's interesting to me that Michigan is so central to a lot of the like prohibition era scandals and laws that came out. Well, I would propose cheers to a little civil disobedience then, you know, Hey, Hey. (laughs) go Michigan, go Frank. All right. So with that, Malcolm, would you like to give us a little bit about uh, (laughs) (laughs) modern breweries? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So today we enjoy the beer of Frankenmuth Brewing here locally that produces a wide variety of beers. Um, But as I've said to the American standard, not Reinheitsgebot. Got another way to add it in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the Frankenmuth Brewery has enjoyed um, uh, a pretty interesting history here in uh, Frankenmuth. Uh, they are, of course, supported by Frankie the Dash Hound, their uh, mascot for many years. And uh, there's just a, a little uh, great uh, amount of history here of people working for the brewery, uh, enjoying the beer of the brewery um, between, you know, because the Frankenmuth Brewery has also been the Frankenmuth Brewery Co., the Frankenmuth Brewing Company Incorporated. It's gone through a lot of different names. Um, it, nowadays, it definitely uh, nods a lot of its heritage back to Fallier. Um whether that's a straight line or not is, I think, up for debate. But um, you know, it definitely carries a lot of that heritage, and is it is proud of the heritage that it is built on the same lands as like the Geyer Brothers, uh, Cass River Brewing, and and things like that. So it's a it's a great brewery here locally, and uh, we've gone there many times and always had a great time. So shout out to them. Um, and uh, you know, and kind of getting back to some of our uh, our beer heritage from Germany. It has become very popular for many breweries in Michigan to release an Oktoberfest-style beer in September. Um, Bell's Brewing, Founders, Atwater, the Frankenmuth Brewing, um, all release their own versions of an Oktoberfest beer. Um, but it's worth pointing out that some of them actually label them as the style is Oktoberfest. The style isn't called Oktoberfest. The style is actually a Marzen lager, but it's intended for consumption during Oktoberfest. So just something to look out for is if you see a brand of beer that's labeled Oktoberfest, that's like the name they're giving it. That's not actually the style of the beer. The style mm-hmm. of the beer is a Marzen lager. And Marzen, I believe, is German word for March, meaning that's when it was starting to be mm-hmm. fermented. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, You know your history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Michigan State as a whole has become, I think, incredibly popular uh, for its fantastic beers and breweries all across the state. I mean, when uh, Bell's Brewing releases Hopslam, it's... 
it's a statewide event. And when they release Oberon, that's when most people agree summer or at least spring has officially started with the release of Oberon. In fact, uh, the current governor um, made Oberon Day an official state holiday. Oberon Day is a a statewide thing. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. As it should be. As it should be. Yeah, no, honestly, like... Until I get that first sip of Oberon, like summer has not started, you know. Um, sponsor bells, uh, <laughs> saying not saying. No, oh, we can put them in a bidding war with the Frankenmuth Brewery. <laughs> um, and you know, and here's um, some other fun facts. Um, although it's also worth mentioning too, is Founders is probably the largest Michigan uh, brewery, and their beers are now found fairly frequently all over the um, the state and all over the country too. I mean, wait, Founders beers are found. Yeah. Throughout the country. Yeah. Found wherever a finder wishes to find them. (laughs) Um, But it's just crazy to me because like 10 years ago, like if you went to like a ball game or anything like that, like um, the most complex beer you could get is like a Michelinos or something like that. Yeah. Like, um, Mm. you know, like a Coors Light or like a Bud Light or something like that. But like now if you go to the ball game, you can get... Atwater, you can get Bells, um, you can get Founders. Like it's it's crazy. I was shocked. How big I, these microbreweries have gotten. I spent the summer working in Maine, and I'd go to a minor league baseball stadium in yeah. Maine, and they have like a vast variety of beers. It's just phenomenal. like drinks that you could get, and it's just yeah. It's and I think Michigan has been a huge part of that push to uh, kind of widen the audience of craft beer. So, like for example, um, you know, Founders Two Hearted IPA is probably the staple IPA in the state. Um, and their all day IPA is found anywhere, which is a slightly lower, uh, ABV, but it's found all over the country even. So within Michigan, there are now as of, uh, 2021, 408 breweries in the state. And that is double the amount since just 2015. In 2015, there was 2000, there was a 205. So they've doubled Mm. in just you know, six years basically. Hmm. And uh, in terms of per capita, so that means per thousand adults, there are 5.4 breweries per, per capita, which is 13th nationally. Uh, so go Michigan for having enough breweries to satisfy everyone. <laughs> um, uh, annually, we produce about 842,216 craft barrels per year. Of beer, uh, the Michigan uh, breweries uh, provide about sixty six thousand nine hundred ninety jobs, and the industry is worth an estimated nine point nine billion dollars. And then again, this is just Michigan alone. These are just Michigan beer stats: uh, four hundred eight breweries, over eight hundred forty two thousand craft barrels per year, sixty six thousand jobs, and an estimated nine point nine billion dollar industry in the state. That's extremely impressive. It really is, and it's. Just going off of your your fact about five point four breweries per a hundred thousand adults, it's always interesting. <laughs> it's not crazy. Look. It, it really is, but it's always interesting, especially because when it comes to craft breweries, they become very regionally specific. You have a lot of mm-hmm. these breweries that kind of market themselves. They label their beers based on regional locations, regional yeah. landmarks. And when I go to like a grocery store here in Saginaw or around Frankenmuth. It's always fascinating when I see Black Rocks Brewing, which is one of the big ones from my hometown. And like mm-hmm. someone, I know the owners because it's a very community based kind of brewery. So it's always fascinating to see like the craft beers from different parts of Michigan. And it's just. Yeah. A Meyer, a Meyer Michigan beer section is a very, very robust section. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, there's always something to choose from. Uh, any uh, breweries that you guys want to just shout out as uh, Michigan faves? Ooh. Ordock Brewing in Marquette, Michigan. Okay. Mm. I'm going to shout out uh, New Holland, my personal favorite. 
but I also frequent Tenacity Brewing in Flint, Michigan as well. Um, I, they're phenomenal. They don't distribute too, so um, you have to go there, fill up a growler. So it's kind of still very, pretty microbrewery. Nice. Yeah, and it's okay. just it's just a great place. I, I love, love it. a I love a New Holland can cocktail. Um, please sponsor me. I am twenty three. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'll shout out to a. Uh, Local here, Innovation Beer Works. They're actually in mm, Frank and Trost. Mm. Small little town. You wouldn't think something like Innovation Beer Works is there, but it's it's pretty cool, and they've got good stuff. So definitely yeah. check it out. Nice. So with that, Nathan, do you want to tell us a little bit about beer festivals in this area? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about beer itself, I guess, um, but I think it's important to recognize, too, that a lot of studies and history have been done with, like, food, but also with drinks and beer especially – um, that it's kind of a center focus for creating culture and creating mm-hmm. new memories and, and things like that. Um, where you can find important things happening, there's usually beer there. Um, so in Frankenmuth, we continue to, to celebrate various uh, festivals in this area, and they've all got beer involved with them. For example, uh, Bavarian Fest. Um, we actually have a few in our collection, I think, like beer buckets, they're called, and people recognize <laughs> them. Like People have come in and be like, oh my gosh, I remember that from like 30 years ago. Like That, that was the bucket from 77. Like, what? <laughs> um, I know that bucket. <laughs> but, memories of that bucket. <laughs> <laughs> actually, not so many. <laughs> but um, no, it, Bavarian Fest, um, there's also Oktoberfest. Um, which Frank Moose Oktoberfest, if you've listened to our episode on Oktoberfest, um, you'll know that it was actually the first time in which Hofbauer Brewery in Germany agreed to distribute to the United States. Um, so Frank Moose Oktoberfest was responsible for that. So you're welcome. <laughs> um, and there's the World Expo of Beer. So each year, I believe it's in May, um, there's over 400 different beers and tons of vendors come in. Um, and you can sample anything and everything you want. Um, and these are just three great festivals um, in which you can find some really great beer. Yeah, the World Expo is insane, too. Mm-hmm. Like I've been a couple times, and it just gets busier every year, and it's just more beer than you could possibly try in a day. <laughs> like It's just crazy. It's a yeah. crazy event, but it's really fun and really cool. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to make some memories and make your own history, you know, come on out, have a drink with us, and uh, it's always a good time. All right. So with that, thank you all for listening to another episode of Historians and Later Hosen. We hope you enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about beer and the brewing process. We are looking forward to discussing more history with you. It would be great if you could take the time to subscribe and leave us a review as that could really help boost our show. So thank you so much. And I'll be I don't know if it got it or not, did it?